Come on, Victory Family, one more time. If you are ready to see what God wants to continue to do today in you and in yours, from the back to the front, from side to side, why don't we take 30 seconds and let him know just how excited we are and how ready we are to get this thing going. Let's go. <laughs> well, um, I'm so honored um, to uh, be here today and to get the opportunity uh, to share with you today from God's word and from God's heart, but I'm not doing it by myself. I got some special people with me. Uh, yes, these incredible young people behind me, we'll get to them in a second, but uh, probably for me, most importantly, uh, I'm joined today by my wife of nine years, Bailey, who's in the room. Hey, boo. Good to see you, always. And uh, not only that, but man, like I said a second ago, I'm joined by some incredible young people who are currently on this platform with me. And before, I, I, uh, before we, we shout them down, because we're going to shout y'all down, uh, I got to explain to you uh, what is going on up here on this platform. Uh, you see, uh, this is my amen squad for today. And here's why I love this is because at Victory Church, we believe in emancipating greatness. I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But one of the coolest things about uh, what I get to do is that over the last number of months and really over for the last year, uh, our staff has been praying and uh, fasting and working towards uh, this leadership, uh, activating and onboarding uh, uh, opportunity in our youth ministry that we're calling the Victory Youth Growth Track. And what this does is, man, it gives students an opportunity to really take a second, take a few weeks actually, and to, and to look at what God has put inside of them and how they can share with the world around them. And so all these young people that are on the platform with me today, uh, they are some of my favorites. Uh, I love all teenagers. We love all teenagers. Come on, we're a part of a church that believes in not the next generation, but the now generation. And I'm excited because these young people that are up here on platform with me today, they are some of the first members of our Victory Youth Dream Team. Come on, let's go. And here's why I love this. It's because we don't believe that young people have to wait till tomorrow to make a difference. They can make a difference right now. They're not the church of tomorrow, family. Come on, they're the church of today. They're the church of right now. And I am so excited to be here today. And we're in this series that we started last week called Family on Purpose. And uh, Pastor Johnson kicked it off last week with an incredible Word. If you did not see it, man, go back and watch it. And today I have the honor and the opportunity to uh, jump into the second installment of this series and to share with you for the next few moments about God's heart for helping young people realize their kingdom potential right now. And here's what we're going to do today. We're going to kick it old school. And what I mean by that is we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to look at a really incredible story uh, about a 12-year-old boy named Samuel and his, his mentor, a guy by the name of Eli. And so come on, if you are ready to jump into God's word, I need you to make like SpongeBob SquarePants and say, I'm ready. Let's go. Come on. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here is what it says. It says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. And one night, Eli, catch this, who was almost blind by now, we'll come back to that in a minute, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly the Lord called out, 
Samuel, yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. And then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, spoiler alert, what we're about to see next is nothing short of incredible. But it starts with us first and foremost taking a minute uh, to look at what exactly Eli is doing right now in this moment and what he is about to do. Here's what I know, is you've maybe heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And man, I love that phrase. We're going to talk about it more here in just a little bit. There's such power in that statement. Um, But for the next few minutes, I want to highlight to you some truths that we hear from Samuel, this 12-year-old boy, uh, that we can consider to be a heart cry of a generation in this modern-day village that we now find ourselves in. And that's why today I want to share with you simply from this title, if you're taking notes, The Voice in the Village. The Voice in the Village. Let me pray, and then we'll keep this thing going. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that crosses all generations, your love that God knows no limits. Lord, would you speak through me into the heart of every person in this place, from the youngest to the oldest. And God, we love you and we thank you for the power of your word in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, let me just say this really quick before I, before I get back to First Samuel chapter 3. I, I should have said this a second ago, but I, I want to make something really abundantly clear with my time with you today. Um, today, here is, here is not what is about to happen. I am not the youth guy here with a message for the youth of the church. I'm not here with a message for the youth of the church. I'm here on assignment by God and with the blessing of our campus pastors with a message for you in the church. And here's what's not going to happen today. What's not going to happen today is that I'm going to talk about a bunch of things that are irrelevant or maybe uh, were were well known to you uh, a few years ago or decades ago from your teenage years. No, 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 no. What I'm here to do today is I'm here to share God's heart, God's heart for young people, but also God's heart for you and how God wants to use you more than you even realize. And I'm very honored to get to do that. Speaking of honor, one of the greatest honors of my life is to be the youth pastor at this church alongside my beautiful wife, Bailey. But one of the other honors of my life is to have two incredible kids, Corbin Elias Follett. He's six years old. He's single, ladies. And, uh, <laughs> and my daughter, Lydian Marie Follett, she'll be three in December. She will never be single a day in her life. But one of the things I love the most about being a dad is every once in a while, we'll have these things called daddy days, okay? And the last time we had a daddy day was uh, actually a few weeks ago when Bailey, my wife, was at our Rooted Women's Conference. Come on, any ladies in the room that went to the Rooted Women's Conference? It was, I heard it was so good. Um, but, but here's what happened on that day. So my wife goes to Rooted Women's Conference, and uh, I get my kids up, and here's what happens on daddy days, okay? Uh, on daddy days, uh, we, we, we get up, and uh, here's kind of the, the theme of the day. If I could give you the theme of the day in one sentence, here it is. It's, it's, it's this, 
Let's play a game called eat whatever you want and nobody die, okay? <laughs> that is what daddy days. Come on, dads, any, any people in the room that'll, that'll agree with a brother, don't lie in church now, come on. I know I'm not the only one. So on this daddy day, uh, you know, I, I went with them. We got some modern day manna from heaven, AKA some donuts, okay? And uh, we ate our donuts. And then what always happens on daddy days is I, I try to take them somewhere, um, whether it be a playground or a play place. Uh, why? Because you gotta get some energy out, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so here's what happened on this day is uh, one of my favorite places to go is I love to go with them to the Mall of Georgia play place. And here's why, because it's contained. <laughs> and so uh, I, get, I get our kids there and my son, my little six-year-old extroverted excited son, he immediately bolts to the play place and he's like running up to every kid. Hey, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Hi, I'm Corbin, what's your name? Hey, do you wanna play a game? Hey, hi, hello, hi. And I'm able to just kinda like, this is awesome, right? But about three years ago, we gave, you know, we had the honor of bringing my daughter Lydian into the world. And my, my, my little Liddy, she is kind of the introvert of our family. I say kind of because if you interacted with her and she's giving you anything other than this look, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. She's a sweet girl, but she's my little introvert. And here's what my, my daughter will do is with this big, bright, beautiful world right in front of her, this awesome play place. She'll look right at me, and she'll say, Daddy, I want to go over there. <laughs> now, y'all know what that means. <laughs> hand in hand, I go wherever she wants to go, right? Here's why I say this today. is because for all of us, whether we are a parent in the room or whether you find yourself in a season where maybe you don't have young people in your home, but you are surrounded by them. We'll get to that here in a moment. The truth is, is that we may not be walking hand in hand with a child, but we're still on the journey with them. And if you're on the journey with them, then you have to be available for them. And you say, well, how do you know that I'm on the journey with them? Well, if you were paying attention in church last week, Pastor Johnson kicked off our series Family on Purpose by reminding us of something that we've talked about for months now, and it's our purpose as followers of Jesus. And what was it? It was to glorify God, to enjoy him forever, and I would even say, add, add on to that, to help other people do the same, right? And so here's the truth is that if that's all of our purpose as followers of Jesus, we're all on the same journey, and so we have to be available for the younger ones of us who maybe don't have all the answers on their journey quite yet, but they're looking to us for the example. We'll get to that more here in just a moment. As young people look at this big, bright, beautiful future in front of them, some of them are more confident than others, like my son. Some of them, like my daughter, are looking at everything in front of them and saying, yeah, yeah, that's great, but I need the hand of my dad. And wherever they're at on that spectrum, we get the honor to take steps with them to get them from where they are now to where they one day will be. And this brings us back to that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. This phrase, ad adopted across generations, basically means that an entire community is responsible for coming alongside a family and helping a child to grow up 
in a healthy and safe environment. And come on now, y'all, listen, I'm, I'm gonna keep being honest in church. My mama, mm, she needed a village when I was growing up. I know I'm probably not the only one, right? And so here's what this means for all of us. Let me first speak to our parents in the room. Parent, mom, dad, adopted parent, guardian, whatever you may be, you are the single most important spiritual authority in your child's life. And for that, you deserve to be commended because it's a hard job, y'all. Can we make some noise for our parents and our guardians? Come on. You are your child's first and greatest pastor. No doubt about it. But church family, guess what? It's not just up to the parent. It's not just up to the crazy youth pastor. No, 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 no. We're all a part of this. Whether you're young or old, single or married, how you interact with the next generation matters, and it matters probably now more than it ever has before. In other words, we are a church family on purpose. Hello. And so what we have to understand is that young people need all of us living on purpose to speak into their purpose. In other words, I would say this, the impact that happens next starts with intentionality right now. The impact that happens next starts with intentionality right now. If we go from looking at this idea from 30,000 feet to bringing it down to the ground floor, we all have at least one teenager that we are interacting with on a regular basis. Whether it be that middle schooler that you see in your neighborhood every day that either sees you wave at them as you pull into your driveway or they see how you really talk to your family and interact with your spouse when you think nobody's watching. Maybe it's that high schooler that's bagging groceries at Publix and they're already either having a really good day or a really bad day and you decide which route that continues to go by your attitude towards them. Or maybe it's that young person who sits there and says, my pleasure every week when you go to pick up your Chick-fil-A, whether you are nice to them or not. Come on, do you want them to be able to say, my pleasure or my pleasure? <laughs> Listen, if we're going to be picking up some Christian chicken, we better be acting Christian. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and this brings us back to our opening story. Samuel, at around 12 years old, showcases to us four heart cries that every young person has that are answered in one way or another by the intentionality of the adults in their lives. And for the sake of hearing this heart's cry from the younger generation, we're not just going to leave this to Samuel to show it to us. We want you to hear from young people who are a part of Victory Youth right now. And that's why today I'm excited to share with you that the first thing that we hear from Samuel the first thing that this voice in the village cries out is simply this, notice me, notice me, notice me. Sometimes I feel like I'm invisible. And like, I don't have a voice. It's like everyone has something to say, but nobody wants to listen. And believe it or not, I'm not just a problem that needs to be fixed. I actually have something to say. But will you listen? Will you take time not just to hear me, but to understand me? To be that safe place, an open heart to help me process these thoughts that keep me up at night. Because, listen, I know you don't understand how or why I spend so much time scrolling through TikTok. And drowning in the likes, follows, and highlight reels of Instagram. I get it. 
But I hide there because from time to time, it gives me a sense of belonging, like I matter. Like I'm seen. But even those moments are short-lived, because when the trends fade and there's not enough red hearts beside my name, I'm left empty once again. Looking and hoping for somebody to notice me. At Victory Church, across all ministries, all campuses, here's what we believe. We believe that you were made for something great. We believe in emancipating greatness. What does that mean? It means understanding the greatness that God has already put in you and then doing whatever it takes to pull that out of you and get it shared with the world around you. But hang on, church family. We like to say you were made for something great. Some of us probably have a bumper sticker or we have it on our Instagram bio or on our Facebook profile. You were made for something great. But here's the interesting thing. For us to emancipate greatness, we gotta notice the greatness. And what's interesting about our story is that we see how Eli embodied this in 1 Samuel 3, now continuing in verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? And then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Even though Eli lacked physical sight, when he slowed down enough to notice what was going on inside of Samuel's heart, all of a sudden, the light bulb went off. He could see and sense Samuel's potential. And here's what I would tell you today, church family, is that young people don't need us to just see where they are at. They need us to see what they're capable of becoming. I could say it this way. There's a household item that actually illustrates this point really well. You probably have it in your house. Actually, I'm fairly confident that all of you have it in your home. Um, And it's, it's called aluminum foil. But I wish I had some aluminum foil to show you. Do you guys, do you have any? Any aluminum foil? Does anybody have any aluminum foil in in the place? Anybody? Saria, thank you so much, sis. Y'all make some noise for my sister, Saria. Come on. That's called a plant. Thank you very much. Um, Now, here's what's interesting about this household item. I myself am a little bit of a barbecuer. Uh, My wife is quite a bit of a baker. uh, So there's a reason that I work out. (laughs) It's it's not so that I can uh, be super skinny. It's so that I can eat whatever I want. Um, And so we love aluminum foil around our house. And and I don't know if you've ever had this problem before where um, you go to to get the aluminum foil and you're trying to get it out and it kind of kind of gets stuck on itself and it kind of like, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to pull at it and it's all just kind of a mess. And, and, you know, before you know it, it just kind of falls out, right? Anybody ever been there? Come on, be honest in church. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Here's what is interesting that I found out a little while ago, probably a little too late in my lifetime, to be honest, is that there's something interesting about the way that the manufacturer made this box. And that's that um, if, you, if you look on the sides here, there's these little tabs that you can push in, and all of a sudden, this funny thing happens 
where I can, I, can, I can do whatever I want, and all of a sudden the foil doesn't fall out. Some of y'all are like, I was today years old when I found out that that was a thing. Here's why I bring this up. Here's why I bring this up. It's because the manufacturer created the product with the potential. But it still needed somebody else to activate that potential. Samuel had the call to be a prophet, and he had the ability to hear from God inside of him, but he needed somebody to notice it and activate it. And church, can I tell you, when young people are filled with doubt, anxiety, fear, insecurity, they need you by their side saying, hold on, I see the greatness that God put inside of you, and if God put it in there, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to see that greatness, activate it, and to get it out into the world around you. And this is not just a theory that I'm talking about. This is a testimony that I am living out myself. Because you see, it's interesting. Um, when I was about the age of some of you guys uh, that are up here with me on the platform, um, at 15, 16 years old, this may or may not shock you. Your boy was a little obnoxious. Is that an okay word to say? I was easily excited. I was I was that, uh, we, call, we call him a church rat. I was living in church. Whenever the doors were open, I was there. Uh, and man, I was excited every single time when the, when the worship music was going or when something exciting was happening. I wasn't the dude up in the front with my hands raised. I was the dude that's like, I love you, Jesus. You're the best. You're awesome. And I was running around the auditorium. Some of y'all didn't know I could run that fast. Um, <laughs> but I was that, I was that kid that I could not help but showcase my excitement for how good God was. And what happened over time is that there were kind of two different groups of people in my life. There were the people who saw that as a problem that needed to be fixed. And then there were the people who saw it as potential that needed to be activated. And so what happened over time is that my youth pastor, my youth leaders, man, they saw that this wasn't something accidental that had just kind of happened in my life. This was a part of my unique makeup that God had put inside of me. And so they became father figures that I never had. They became a spiritual covering that I never had. And they helped me to understand this is not a part of you by accident. And if people didn't take my loud, obnoxious personality as a sign of something inside of me, that was actually God-given, I may not be here today. Here's what young people are crying out to have noticed, family. They're saying, notice my desires. Notice, notice my passions. Speak life into what I care about. I know it may seem silly. I know that it, you may not fully understand, but man, care about what I care about. On the flip side, here's what they also need you to notice. They need you to notice their pains, they need you to notice not just uh, what or how I'm hurting, I should say, 
but what is actually hurting? I know that you see the outbursts or you see the tears or you see the me hiding in my room, but what you need to see is what is actually hurting on the inside of me. Please don't just look at the fruit of the problem. Help me find the root of the problem. Notice what I may think are problems that God actually put inside of me that can be part of my potential. Because remember, young people are not a problem that needs to be fixed. And this one's big. Notice my needs, not just my wants. Help me keep focused on what really matters most. Keep me in the house of God. Pray with me as often as possible. Read the Bible with me as much as possible. Get me into biblical community because if we just give young people what they want, they will live a life that is comfortable but not purposeful. And I'm here to tell you today that, man, I, I, I fully understand that we live in a society that is busier than ever. But here's what I also know is that, man, it's great if somebody, uh, you know, has a great GPA and they go on to live out a successful career for their lifetime, or it's great if, man, they're such a great athlete that they go pro for 10, 15, 20 years, but I'm in this thing for the long haul. I'm not just trying to have young people live something that seems successful for the next couple of decades. I'm here to make sure that they go into eternity with Jesus and bring as many people with them as possible. Great if they're a pro athlete for 10 years, man, it's even better if they get to go into eternity with Jesus and they bring people with them. What does that mean? That means I know that there's practices and I know that there's homework and I know that there's all these other things going on, but parents, please, can I beg you, as a young person myself at one point, maybe not now, but at one point, one of the most important things that my mom ever did was fight for me to be in the house of God every week. Fight for me, get inconvenienced for me to be in youth every Wednesday night. It's worth the effort. And the impact that is to come is a result of the intentionality that you put in place right now. Church family, it is our responsibility, you, me, us, to notice the greatness in young people and to activate it. Because Samuel could have been obedient to the very limits of his understanding. There you go, Vinny. There's a souvenir for you. Samuel could have been obedient to the very limits of his understanding. Come on now. Hold on. Let's think about this for a second. This is a 12-year-old boy who got up three times during the night because he heard somebody calling his name. Uh, hello, any parents kind of jealous of Eli right now at this point? This 12-year-old boy got up at a moment's notice because he heard somebody calling for him. Come on now, parents. Come on now, people. Let's be real. Think about what that would look like in most houses. Johnny! Huh? Johnny! Huh? Johnny! Huh? Three times, more like 13 times, right? So Samuel had something pretty unique and awesome inside of him. But if Eli doesn't truly notice what's really going on in Samuel's life, it's all for naught. Think about how things could have been different if Eli sends Samuel back to bed again. All of history looks completely different based around this one moment. But it doesn't stop at just seeing something, at just noticing something. We also then get the honor and the privilege to actually do something 
about it. That's why I love what the Bible continues on saying in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, so he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. The truth is that a life that brings God's kingdom to earth both now and in the days to come, is a lifestyle that is caught more than it is taught. And that's why the second thing that the voice in the village cries out for is it says this, show me, show me, show me. The older I get, the more I realize that there's so much that I don't know. Imagine that. It's a big world and sometimes it's scary to imagine that I have a part to play in it all. And that's why I watch you so closely. Of course, I would never let you know that I'm watching. But I am. In fact, I'm learning more from what you do than I am from what you say. Because believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I'm very nosy. I hear the conversations behind closed doors. The frustration. The bills. The unmet expectations. I honestly don't know how you do it. But when I see you take your fears and worries to God, and when I see you trust him, even when it's hard, It encourages me in a big way. But when you don't lean on God, I see that too. And I'm left with questions. So yes, I need you to teach me how to follow Jesus. But more importantly, I need you to show me. I'm learning more from what you do than from what you say. The same teacher or teenager, I should say, that we mentioned earlier the middle schooler in your neighborhood, the high schooler that's bagging your groceries at Publix, the young person that's saying, my pleasure, while they hand you your Christian chicken, they are looking to you as more of an example than you realize. And a lot of us find ourselves surrounded by people who have had an unintentional example set for them rather than a relevant example given to them. And here's the danger of that, is that it creates a culture where life just kind of happens by accident, and therefore growth does not happen on purpose. Um, This is not just true in the Christian bubble. This is true in our entire world. And that's why I am blown away every time I read this quote from Sheikh Rashid, the founder of the state of Dubai, who was quoted saying this, that my grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I drive... Mercedes? My son rides a Land Rover, and my grandson is going to ride a Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. Why is that, he was asked. And his reply was, hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. So, dear church family, we cannot be satisfied raising up a generation that only goes after what is convenient. We got to raise them to live with conviction and with calling and with purpose and with going beyond what is simply comfy or cozy or easy. And this can seem overwhelming. Let's be real, this can kind of seem impossible. But Craig Groeschel, pastor of Life Church, 
says it this way. He says that people would rather follow a leader who is always real than one who is always right. In other words, you don't have to be perfect to speak into someone's purpose. What you don't know from reading 1 Samuel 3 is the context of who Eli was in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And uh, the truth is, is that Eli was actually plenty jacked up. I'll give you just two examples. Um, first of all, um, at one point he meets uh, Samuel's mom, Hannah, and while Hannah is praying and crying out to God, he judges her and calls her a drunk. What? <laughs> Secondly, he is such a poor parent on his own that the Bible just simply tells us that his sons were considered blasphemers of God. What does that mean? It means they've made God out to be a joke. So Eli was far from perfect, but here's what's incredible is in this moment, he didn't let his past define what was in front of him in his present. Eli made the most of the opportunity that was in front of him right now in this moment in 1 Samuel 3. And you and I have the opportunity to be, to be able to do the same because you don't have to be perfect to speak into somebody's purpose. So how do we do that? How do we make the most of the opportunity in front of us? It's one simple word that we get to live out and it's holiness. We have to showcase to young people what it looks like to be set apart. Because here's what's interesting. If we really think about it, the opposite of holiness is not necessarily sin. Did he just say that? Yeah, I did. The opposite of holiness is not just simply sin. The opposite of holiness is what's commonplace. The opposite of holiness is just what's kind of meh, kind of everyday, kind of mundane, kind of boring. And this is where I think that our culture has gotten things a little bit mixed up because here's what happens. We look at holy people. We look at people who really love Jesus and there's a temptation sometimes to think, oh man, their life's so boring. Uh, no, it's not. You're boring. Why? Because the best, most fun, most exciting, most incredible thing in the world is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Come on. Well, we've gotten it mixed up and we think it's all about rules and we think it's all about regulations, but I love what Pastor Dennis said. He dropped some bars on this topic in our summer series, Be Like Jesus. He said this, that holiness is not self-righteousness or following a list of rules. Holiness is to be set apart, to be unique, to be distinct in how we live. And it doesn't stop there, because <laughs> I got another one for you. And it is this that God the Father himself kind of reaffirms this idea for us. In the New Testament, through the apostle Peter, to make it practical for New Testament believers, and also in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. Here's, the, here's what he says, check it out. First Peter chapter one, uh, Peter writes this, he says this, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And this statement, be holy because I am holy, is said three different times in the book of Leviticus. I love what God the Father says in Leviticus chapter 20, where he says this in verse 7 and 8. He says, so set yourselves apart to be holy. For I am the Lord your God. 
Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. You know what I love about this? Is that God says, set yourselves apart because I'm God. What does that mean? He says, be holy because I am God, because I am holy. That means that everything that we feel pressured to do for young people to show it to them, God wants to show it to us. And it happens as a result of us daily, moment by moment, hour by hour, simply trusting in his leadership and in his example in our lives. So if it's applicable to the Israelites of the Old Testament, and if it's applicable to New Testament believers thousands of years ago, then the call to live set apart is applicable for us right now. And I would go so far as to say this, that most young people The reason that they want to debate whether or not something is a sin or they want to toe the line or they want to kind of go back and forth as as much as it happens is because realistically, they just don't really understand what it means to actually live set apart. And you know whose responsibility it is? That's not their problem. That's your problem. That's our problem. It is our responsibility to show them what it looks like to live set apart. Did you catch what Peter said a second ago? He said, you didn't know any better then. You didn't know any better then. So if Peter didn't know any better then, then why do we expect sometimes or why do we assume that, man, young people are just gonna have it all figured out right now? And again, living set apart is caught more than it is taught. And at Victory Church, we believe that because young people were made for something great, They can live out 1 Timothy 4.12. I love what Paul writes when he says this to Timothy. He says this, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in in your faith, and in your purity. Do you know why Paul could challenge Timothy to do all of these things? Do you know why Paul could challenge Timothy to live with love and with faith and with purity and to be an example? Is because Paul had shown Timothy what it looked like to be a loving person, to be faithful, to be pure, to set an example. Paul had set the example for Timothy so that Timothy could now set the example for other people. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Paul set the example before he challenged Timothy to set the example. Hello. And if we're not showing young people the right thing, I can promise you this, the world out there is showing them something. Hold on, pause. Let's ask the panel of judges. Is the world trying to show you some things out there beyond these four walls? What are some examples, guys? Pornography, okay. Come on, somebody over here. What's the world trying to show you? Popularity, that that's what matters. Come on, somebody else. Drugs, okay. Addiction. You see what I'm getting at? If we're not showing them the right thing, we can be sure the world is showing them something. So let's rewind back to verse 7 of our opening text. It said this, that Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he'd never had a message from the Lord before. 
This is interesting given the fact that if you think about how our story started, oh my gosh, this blows my mind every time I think about it. Samuel is sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. What does this mean? It means that Samuel in this moment is quite literally the Israelite that is closest to God's presence and he has no idea. He's hearing from God. He's the Israelite that is the closest to God, and he has no clue. He will know, but he doesn't know yet. Parent, church family, I'm here to tell you today that the promises of God over the lives of young people like these and all the young people in our community, all the young people in this room today, all the young people in our church, the promises of God over young people's lives will be even if not yet. And the bridge between not yet and will be is people like yourself who will step in the gap and not just talk about it, but walk it out for them. I I, I think about it this way. I had the opportunity, the honor, uh, a couple of weeks ago to uh, get a little uh, chest day workout in with my guy, Grant Frith. And uh, I had a great time. I don't know if Grant did. I don't... (laughs) A little bit, kind of. <laughs> and this may or may not shock you, but um, I can lift a little bit more weight than Grant can, okay? <laughs> so here's what happens. When we go to do chest day, and we're doing cable flies, and we're doing incline presses, and we're doing dips, and Grant's having PTSD thinking about it right now, When I'm pushing up 60-pound dumbbells on the incline press, here's what I'm not doing. I'm not giving Grant 60-pound dumbbells. Why? Because he can't handle that right now. He can one day, but he can't right now. And do you know what is going to get him from where he is now to where I am? Is if somebody comes alongside of him and shows him the proper technique the proper nutrition, the proper form so that he doesn't injure himself. Hello, I hope somebody's getting this, that young people in your life, they have it inside of them, the potential to carry the weight of life, but they need you to come alongside of them and not let them get crushed by it. And when Samuel hears God's voice the first time, Second time, he runs to what he knows and he says, here I am in total availability. Church family, I just gotta ask this. If we don't help young people understand God's voice, then the question becomes, what are we allowing them to run to and say, here I am to? Could it be that because we're not teaching them how and showing them how to hear from God's voice, that what happens is they run to a device that has nothing but faulty fantasies on the other side of it? Could it be that they end up living a life where they think that significance is all caught up in a GPA or in a pro sports career? And I'm not taken away from those things, but those things will die and fade away one day. The only thing that will last is a life uh, style of following Jesus passionately. Or will they run and say, here I am to a relationship that may or may not last in this lifetime, but it never gives them anything lasting? 
And will we allow the young people in our lives to get crushed under the weight of life because we do not take seriously the opportunity to step in and show them? Because I'll tell you something, in that moment, this guy, he may not be my kid, but he's God's kid and he's my boss's kid. So you better believe I'm not gonna let him get crushed. I'm not gonna let him get crushed. They need to see a faith inside of us that's so real that it accepts what God is doing even if we don't like it. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna go there, but this passage continues on to say that God speaks to Samuel and he basically tells Samuel, hey, um, Eli's not gonna like what I'm about to do because I'm gonna wipe out Eli's entire family basically because of how he was unfaithful and how he made a mockery of me and there's no sacrifice or offering that Eli will be able to do or that his kids can do to make up for it. And I love uh, what, what does happen is that when, when Eli tells Samuel, tell me everything that God said, in that moment, Samuel goes and he's afraid, but he does it anyway. Hello, some young person needs to hear that today. You can do something scared and it still be the right thing. And Samuel does that and he goes to Eli and he tells him, hey, bad news. And I love what Eli says. He says, it's the Lord's will. It's God's will. Let him do what he said he was gonna do. Can I tell you something, church? Young people need to see us sometimes wrestle with bad news in a healthy way. Not to close doors and to punch pillows. Not to go and like vent in an unhealthy way. They need to see us wrestle with God even when it's bad news. And here is Samuel, this 12-year-old boy learning from God in the same way that giants of the faith like Abraham and Moses had heard God's voice. This moment in Samuel's life, to catch you up to speed, God has just said to Samuel, 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 when Abraham was on Mount Moriah, he said, Abraham, Abraham. When Moses was at the burning bush, God said, Moses, Moses. And if Samuel misses this moment, everything is different. Samuel's about to be the one used by God to impact many, but he's standing on the sacrificial love of a few. He's standing on the foundation of people like Eli who cared enough to not let Samuel get crushed under the weight of life and under the weight of not fully understanding on their own. He would not become who he was meant to be without being loved for who he was then. And that's why the third thing that we hear from a generation, this voice in a village crying out is this. Love me, love me, love me. I know that sometimes they disappoint you. To be honest, sometimes they disappoint myself. It's like society just has a way of making you feel like you have to work and perform in order to earn love. Which is why I need you to believe in me and love me. Whether I'm on top of the world today or struggling to survive tomorrow. I may not say it enough, but it's the small things that matter the most. A hug. A smile. An encouraging word that builds me up, instead of the negative ones that tear me down. I don't know. Feels weird even saying out loud. But your love gives me courage. Courage to love others. Courage to grow. Courage to believe that no matter what, this is my home, and I'm always welcome here. I need you to love me. Your love gives me courage. Don't miss that. Your love gives me courage. When the world is trying to give our young people plenty of other things, 
It is your love, your sacrifice, you doing something because it's right, even if it's inconvenient, that gives them courage. In other words, when we love young people at their worst, it allows them to experience God's very best. Hear me. Sacrificially loving young people is not convenient. You're like, did he just say that? He's the youth guy. Yeah, I said it. It's hard sometimes, y'all. And that's okay. Because like I shared with our high schoolers a few weeks ago, you guys will remember this, that I said if it's real easy, then it's not real love. And while Eli wasn't perfect, he certainly knew that this was part of God's purpose for his life. And if Eli does not sacrifice to, to host and help raise Samuel in this way, if he stays stubborn and too busy to actually see what's going on in Samuel's heart and in his life, Samuel stays a boy, maybe not in stature, but in spirit. And Samuel, who we can now know as being recognized as the greatest and final judge of Israel, as being the first of the prophets outside of Moses, as the prophet who established the first two kings of Israel, as the prophet who was sent by the Lord to anoint King David, Israel's greatest king. And by the way, David's family tree would lead straight to Jesus one day. All of this greatness started with the boy that we find in 1 Samuel 3. And while 1 Samuel 3 starts by labeling Samuel as a boy, that's not quite how 1 Samuel 3 ends. Because in verses 19 and 20, here's what it says. Is this, it says that as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Not a boy of the Lord, a prophet of the Lord. From boy to prophet, all in one chapter. All because Eli decided to notice, show, love. Built from boy to prophet, built off of Eli giving his time, his energy, his life, even when he probably didn't always feel like it. And this is the story of Samuel. Well, Kind of. Because the truth is, is that as much as Eli did in 1 Samuel 3 to help Samuel go from boy to prophet, the truth is, is that it actually starts way before Eli. It actually starts in 1 Samuel chapter 1 with the prayers of a mom. Samuel's mom. A mom named Hannah. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 10. It says that Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. She made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life lifetime. Church family, can I tell you today that noticing, showing, and loving young people is all incredible, and it's all needed, but it actually starts from this place because the voice in the village cries out, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Notice me. 
show me, love me. But what I really need is for you to pray for me. Pray for my safety. Pray against the violence that plagues my generation. Whether in the womb or in the classroom. Pray for the unrest in my mind, for the fear and anxiety that grips my heart. Over the pandemics and the politics. Racism and riots. Pray against the confusion that has blinded my generation. Where the truth is based on preference. And where blurred lines have blurred minds. I need you to pray like never before. Because I believe that the same God that rose from the tomb valued my life even before the womb. Yes, I believe that the cross has never lost its power to redeem. I believe that revival is not on the way, but I believe that revival is here. And I believe that I don't have to wait until I'm old to do something great for God. I can make a difference in my world right now. Why? 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 Because I believe that I was made for something great. But the question is, do you? Come on, church, do you believe? Do you believe that they were made for something great? time that we stop living our lives at such a pace that we miss out on the greatness that God has put right in front of us. And that stops today. And as a church, we will continue to be sold out to emancipating the greatness, unlocking the purpose inside of every single young person. That's not the youth pastor just saying that. Come on, that's all of us. That's all of us. Come on. That's all of us. And that starts right now. So here's what I wanna do really quickly. I wanna invite every single middle schooler and high schooler to stand to their feet right now. Every single middle schooler and high schooler, come on, come on, come on. Here in about 30 seconds, here's what we're gonna do, family. We're gonna put into practice what we've just talked about. But I wanna take a second to try to look every single one of you, if I can, in your eyes and let you know that you were made for something great. Oh, I wish I could spend 30 minutes just saying this. You, 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 all of you, you were made for something great. And we as a church, we notice you, we care about you, we see you, we hear you, we will not ignore you, we will not put you off to the side, we will put you front and center. Because we care about you. We see the greatness that God has put inside of you. And our commitment to you is that not only are we gonna see it, we're gonna say something about it, we're gonna act on it, we're gonna activate it, we're gonna care for you, we're gonna be in your corner. We're not gonna let you get crushed under the weight of life on your own. We are gonna step in and do whatever it takes to make sure that you live out God's very best for your life, for your life, for your life. Because all of us recognize, come on church family, help me out here, let's be honest. All of us recognize that if it wasn't for people that stepped in and helped us out, hello, we wouldn't be here today. So now we're gonna do the same thing for you. So because of that, 
we will love you. We will support you. We will be there for you when you don't have all of the answers and when you only simply have more questions. We will not give up on you because Jesus never gave up on us. And we see that we get the opportunity to be an extension of Jesus to you. And we take that opportunity seriously right now, here in this moment. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna invite all of our parents to stand to your feet and to lay hands on your kids. And we're gonna give you an opportunity now like you've maybe never had before, or maybe you've never taken this opportunity, or maybe it's been a long time since you've done this, but we're gonna give you a chance to pray for your child. Because all of the greatness starts as a result of a praying parent. And guess what, church family? We are church family on purpose. So we're not just gonna let mom and dad pray on their own. No, 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 no. I wanna invite our church family to extend your hands or reach out and lay a hand on every young person that you see around you. And we're gonna pray and bless these young people and believe in our hearts that they were made for something great, not just later, but right now. Spirit of the living God, I thank you that right now in this moment, you see, you know, you care for every young person in this room, you know them by name, you care about the ones that are watching online. And Spirit of the living God, I would I ask right now that you would speak like you never have before. God, open up the ears of our young people to hear your voice like they never have before. I pray for new dreams, new passions, new God ideas. I thank you in advance that God, you are not satisfied with us sitting back and ignoring the greatness that is right in front of us in the young people in this place, in the young people in this church. And so I bless my brothers and sisters, the middle schoolers and the high schoolers in this room. And I thank you that God, their best is yet to come but their best also starts now. That God, you're not gonna simply wait on the sidelines for their greatness to be activated later. You're activating that greatness right now. God, and we know that maybe it's not quite what we hope and see that it could be yet, but God, we are committed, heart and soul, seeing every single bit of your very best come to pass in their lives. And so Lord, we love you. We thank you and we bless every single young person in this room. And we agree that God, we are not gonna let them get crushed under the weight of this life on their own. We will continue to pray. We will continue to care. We will continue to love and show them and take seriously the greatness that is in their life that's right in front of us. We love you, Jesus. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen, amen. I love you, church. We got now, let's go.